We all crave connection. At our core, we all want to feel loved and understood. Hi, I'm Nechami, founder of Carmela Cosmetics, a company that produces high-performance natural beauty products and is dedicated to uniting and empowering women through the power of color. This is We Are Women, a podcast where women speak their truth and celebrate their victories. This podcast came about as a way to give a voice to all women because we all have stories to share. It's a place where we'll learn about each other and ourselves, dive into important issues that affect us, discover all that we have in common, and make some memories. So pour yourself a glass of bread and get comfortable. Every night is ladies' night, and we are women. Tonight's interview is with my friend Zara Asar, who was born and raised in Iran. So Zara earned her PhD in biophysical science from University of Michigan and currently works full-time as a scientist. I originally met her after she reached out to me via Instagram in regards to collab and I checked out her account. I remember looking and I was a little bit confused because it said fashion blogger and then it said PhD scientist. And typically those two usually don't go together. When I met her, it was so interesting. We met up for coffee and we spoke about how she became a fashion blogger and how she became a scientist. And and once we launched our podcast, I called her and I was like, Zara, I need you to be on this podcast um, to share your story. It's just so cool. You'll learn about the culture she comes from, you know, being born and raised in Iran and see how she defeats the stereotypical scientist persona and really demonstrates how we're all truly multifaceted human beings with different interests, hobbies. Zara and I discussed the stereotypical scientist persona, her hesitations at becoming a fashion blogger while in the professional field of science, and what it was like growing up in Iran and male-dominated culture. I find learning and hearing about other cultures so fascinating, and I'm sure you're going to learn a lot from this episode. I was born and raised in Tehran, Iran. Um, I'm Persian, and um, so my family and I, um, we lived in Tehran, the capital of Iran, um, pretty much for my entire um, childhood, and, and that's where I went to school, and I went to university um, to get my bachelor um, in Tehran, and then um, I have actually uh, an older brother, so it was a, I was grown in a family of four, um, it was me, my older brother, um, and uh, we had a great childhood, you know, time we played, we fight, you know, that's that's what uh, most of the kids do, I guess, <laughs> when you have an older sibling, especially if you're a girl and you have an older brother, <laughs> I think most of the times you fight, and um, yeah, and then I went to school, university, I got my bachelor in Iran, um, and then, um, so my brother moved to Canada when I was in high school and um, I always wanted to um, basically move to Canada uh, and join him. But then I think the, um, the, the life for me had a different plan. And so after I finished my, my bachelor, I moved to Europe, Switzerland for my master. Um, I went to APFL 
that's in Lausanne. Uh, it's a city. Um, oh, by the way, we uh, in Iran, like the language uh, we we speak is Farsi. So uh, that's the that's the primary language. Like that's what the language most of people talk. Like uh, everybody talks. Um, and so I basically I didn't speak English. We we never spoke. We never spoke English and at home. But um, I had a tutor because I knew I wanted to move out. I wanted to immigrate to a different country. So I started to um, hiring um, a tutor when I was in university. Um, that's where I learned English, basically. And I think I was like 20 years old, 20, 21. Um, but we, ha- we learned like the basics, the grammars of English, like in, um, in high school in Iran, but it wasn't something like, it wasn't like we could speak fluently. That was just the, uh, the way that they taught us. Um, it was mostly like grammar and all that. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. And then when I moved to Switzerland, it was awesome it was great but um there was a little bit of an issue and it was that the city that i used to live in they were uh, they um they speak uh french uh so they used to they all um used to speak uh french because it was near geneva and near the france border so switzerland is like a very small country but each um corner of it which is sharing a border with different countries they speak that language so they zurich they speak german or in lausanne or geneva they speak french so i didn't know french at all i tried to learn um that when i was uh, i i basically <laughs> tried to take advantage of you know the free classes and all that in the university and speak french um and I also lived with the family, then that uh, with the Swiss family that they didn't know. Uh, I mean, the the dad knew a little English, but the rest of the family they couldn't speak English. So I had to learn French. Uh, so that was a little difficult for me. And then, um, but I loved I loved living in Europe for a short time. I should say. By the way, what made you decide to go to Switzerland for university? So uh, the way that it was working for us is that, so I finished my bachelor, I needed to apply for grad school. And since I, uh, I started realizing that most of the, when I wanted to apply, for, well, first of all, I want to apply for uh, US and Canada, the Canadian universities and um, US universities. But then most of them, uh, the, the deadlines for international students, there were most of the times in December or before even December of every year. But then it was March when I thought about, you know, applying. So a few months after the deadline. So I pretty much was late to get my application started for these countries. Then I realized that in Europe, um, the deadlines are later. So I, I could apply, you know, for European uh, universities. But I knew a friend of mine uh, who was, um, was a student at the PFL. So they told me that, hey, why don't you apply, you know, um, you'll be fine. There's no like restrict deadline or something, you know, you're, you're good, just apply. I mean, that's what I did. And um, the thing is that the universities in the um, Europe, it's like the opposite of here. So it's free, but what it costs is the cost of living. It's more, I mean, the more expensive countries, obviously the cost of living is, is more as well. Like Swiss, um, Switzerland is like a, yeah, it's a very expensive country to live in, but at least the university was free. 
that was good. Um, and then, um, so yeah, I was there. I, we didn't know anybody. I mean, we didn't have any friends uh, beside the couple of friends that I knew from the from my, my university, bachelor university. But it wasn't like I had a family there. No, no, nobody basically. Um, it was a very interesting um, time for my, of my life. Uh, back in 2011, that's where I moved. I was 21 years old and um, yeah, I lived there for a little over a year. Uh, that was good because I could travel to um, pretty much the countries that I wanted to visit. Like I went a couple of times to France, to Italy, um, Spain. And yeah, so that I took advantage of that. So that was great. That's cool. Then, yeah. And then I, um, so my, my major basically was chemistry um, when I was studying bachelor. And then for master, I applied for molecular biology. And then, um, so I got interested more in biochem, basically biochemistry and biology. Um, but then meanwhile, I, since I have, I had applied for one of the, um, um, universities in Michigan, like Michigan State Universities, um, I applied for Michigan State a year before, but since I applied late, they told me they're not gonna look at my application because I was late, but then they didn't tell me that they're gonna hold on to my application for the next year. So basically what happened was that I, randomly in a day I got a call from my mom saying hey someone called from Michigan State and to our house like to our uh, home in Iran and was talking English and they said something about your application <laughs> they wanted to interview you oh my gosh and I said Zara is in Switzerland now so they want to get your number so that's why I mean then, then I was like okay well this is interesting I need to talk to them so I talked to these folks uh they were professors at uh, chemistry department of Michigan State Universities, and they're like, "Yeah, you applied late, late last year, but we still, we uh, your application was good for us, so we hold on to it. We wanted to get you in, but for this year." And I was like, "Okay, but I'm in Switzerland now, I'm finishing my master." They're like, "You don't need to finish your master because you already applied with the bachelor, mm, so you can just straight, you know, start your PhD program with us, oh. and you can transfer the credits." And I was like, "Oh, that's." actually it's gonna save me money and time and all that um and uh, you know because in again I in EPFL when I was in Switzerland I needed to pay for my um for my living for the for this house like a studio and all that but versus like U.S. when you go to the graduate school they pay you not much but still you know they they pay you so I figured it's a better deal, and I realized that it's Michigan is very close to Toronto because my brother moved to Toronto uh, a couple years before, like I said, when I was in high school. So I was like, oh, that's actually great. I'm going to be close to him. He can come and visit me, or I can go visit him. So let's do it. And the, it was in 2012, August 2012. It was exactly this time, eight years ago, and uh, when I moved uh, to Michigan. <laughs> basically. But I remember when I, uh, when I arrived to Detroit, BTW, I was like, where is this city? Why everybody, <laughs> why looks like everybody's dead? Well, why up is it so quiet here? Right. Yeah, it's so was, funny. <laughs> it was super different. So it, it was a culture shock for me. Super different, got... super different than Iran or super different than Switzerland or both? 
both super because Iran is a busy country like it's a small country but a lot of people it's like very isolated you know and especially Tehran Tehran is like New York City everybody is like running all the time and it's busy and all that but Switzerland is is, is a small country but not that many people sure but it's the culture you know the, the way that the people uh, live is totally different than here uh, the whole Europe I should say and when I moved to Detroit, I was like, wow, this is like <laughs> totally different. <laughs> I'm sure. And you were alone. So you were you just got off the plane and you had no family here, right? Um, I actually did have my um so I got lucky because my my dad's second cousin, um, he him and his family, they moved to US for like 40 years ago and uh, they've been in Michigan that entire time. Oh, okay. So yeah, I got lucky. They could actually, we contacted them and they came to pick me up and they drove me, like I stayed with them for the weekend and I got like a few items that I needed, you know, and then they, they were so nice. We were, we were still in touch with them. Um, I'm a close friend with their daughter. Um, and they drove me to Islansing, um, to start my, you know, journey, mm-hmm. uh, graduate school there. And then, um, yeah, and then since then I'm I'm here. I'm I've been in Michigan. <laughs> wow. Okay, I didn't realize that you had second cousins. It's so funny because all of a sudden, like, it doesn't matter what number of cousins they are. If you know somebody and you're moving to a foreign country, you're just gonna you just need them. You know, so you're gonna exactly utilize your connections. That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and you became close friends with, with your cousin after. Yeah. Okay. Cool. That's really cool. Yes. Yes. Wow. Um, yeah. So you started grad school and did you know that you wanted to get a PhD in chemistry? Wait, what was it again? So um, I knew that I wanted to get my PhD in chemistry, but I wanted to get my PhD in um, more like chemistry and biochemistry. But my program was chemistry. So what I did, I so that the, the way that we do it at Michigan State, um, chemistry department is that you can pick your professors to whoever you want to do your research with you know for that time period which is like a couple of years typically like four to five years so I picked my professor based on his research and his research was mixed with uh, more like biophysical biophysical um, basically characterizations of proteins and so I got very interested. I was like, this is chemistry, but also biochemistry involved with it heavily. So I loved it. Um, and I started doing, um, started that research. Uh, again, I joined that group in 2012, but um, I had the opportunity to publish um, my research with them in between. And um, also uh, I could work in the middle of it for uh, University of Michigan Dearborn. I could teach for them as well. Um, I could teach chemistry for them, yeah, for a couple of um, couple of classes. And then I, um, I basically, um, so what I, it was interesting for me, this journey, because I definitely did not know with the research that I was doing, I could join pharma, uh, pharmaceuticals companies or pharma business, basically. I didn't know. And um, I thought I, w- I should mostly stay in academia, which uh, that time I was fine with it. But I I knew that I wanted to get I, I wanted to break into industry and in pharma industry basically. So um, one night I was in uh, 
um, I was in my fourth year, four, four and a half year of my PhD program. And when I, I saw that position um, opened up and on Indeed, and it was literally what I was doing in our lab at Michigan State, but for a biotech company in Ann Arbor. And uh, then I was like, oh, wow, that's actually great. So I let me apply. I applied. I got I got an interview. Uh, everything worked out and I got a job. So I got a job and I told my <laughs> my advisor that, hey, I have this job now. I, ha I need to finish my PhD. And then um, so basically for me, it was a little different because typically people, um, they finish, they defend their PhD and then they start the job. Uh, an industry job, academic job, or a postdoc fellowship. But for me, I got the job six months before I, I, oh, I was wow. finishing my PhD. Yes, so it was kind of like hectic. My, my job was in Ann Arbor. My PhD was in Michigan State. And I was living in Farmington Hills because of my husband's situation. So it was, I was yeah. all over the area. Wow. Okay, so let's backtrack a little bit. So first of all, did you know what you wanted to do before you started your PhD or you were just hoping that something would work out like in terms of the, getting your degree in science, the PhD in science? No, I knew I wanted to get my, um, I knew from the beginning, I mean, I loved chemistry. That was between math and physics and chemistry. I loved chemistry from the beginning. And I knew I want to, I want to pursue in that. And I knew I want to get into the, the drug discovery field mm -hmm. that I knew it. But then I, I lost my hope a little when I joined the, the graduate school uh, here, because I thought maybe, maybe what I'm doing my research and maybe that's not really relevant in industry field maybe they don't maybe academic labs want me more or universities might want me more with this background mm -hmm. okay okay but yeah but uh, apparently I was wrong and the more and more I got into it I realized that this field is very required for basically a pharma industry or drug discovery programs that's how I realized it basically Oh, wow. So you really kind of thought that you would have to do, to do one thing, even though your dream was to go into the, the industrial pharmaceutical. Stuff. Yes. Yeah. But then ended up working in your favor because they really, they, they wanted that. They wanted your, back, your background and your biophysical. Um, yes. That, that's so cool. Good for you. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. And the other thing is in Michigan, um, you know, the pharma hub, the biotech hubs yes. are mm -hmm. um, in Boston and San Francisco and San Diego. I mean, mostly California and uh, East Coast. But um, Michigan is not considered a hub for pharma uh, or biotech. But I, the Ann Arbor area has um, has that has industrial road, which has a couple companies, startups, and it has a couple of spinoffs from University of Michigan that they started to uh, basically attract the young graduated uh, graduates from the either U of M or Michigan State or Wayne State. So that helps. Um, and I, when I was at Michigan State, I didn't know about our company. I didn't know about the other companies in that, you know, area in Ann Arbor. Yeah. But yeah, and it's, it's interesting because most of the people now think if you're in this field, you have to either move to California or you have to move to Boston. Um, but there are opportunities everywhere. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, that's great to know. By the way, it's, it's, it's so interesting hearing all this from you because... I guess we never really spoke about your background 
like how you got into it right. and they never came up in conversation. So I'm learning something new, <laughs> um, <laughs> but okay. So basically you decided to go into the biochemical, biochemistry, biophysical uh, fields because of your interest in chemistry. Is that what you said before? Yes. Okay, cool. Yes. So um, the research that um, I got, I mean, the research that I was started doing was to basically characterize the, um, the proteins, um, their 3D structure. So basically, uh, when I say protein, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think most other people, they remember protein shakes, right. you know, <laughs> they mix. but um, so basically, uh, there are proteins, let's say in human body, there are thousands of them. And so each of them, they have their own structure, 3D structure, and they're full. They way that they, you know, bind with each other, interact, they send signals, some of them. So that's the, um, that's the field that is, is one of the most interesting field for people to know, like how these proteins they interact with each other, or they send the signals and all that, or how do they look, or, you know, because if the more you know about these, then let's say, if you have it, if, if there is a disease, you want to cure. So you want to know where in body um, that disease starts or what's the target of it. And then you can basically target that um, protein of interest with the drug of your interest. So that's called the drug discovery program, basically. Um, Interesting. And, yeah. and that's what you do? Yes, that's what, that's what we do. Oh, very cool. Okay, I actually always wondered what exactly do you do? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So in our company, uh, we help the, uh, the, the big pharmas or other startup companies. Um, I mean, pharmaceutical startup companies um, that they have their drug discovery program. Let's say they have a goal. They want to cure um, some sort of cancer and they know what's, what's the target is in body. So then we help them to basically uh, get there uh, step by step, obviously. We don't uh, we don't do clinical trials, um, but we have a basically a partner who does it. Uh, but we don't do it ourselves. Um, we do everything pre-clinical, so and I'm involved in that portion of it. Ah, oh, very cool. Okay, okay. I'm just curious to know, like, what a typical day as a scientist looks like for you. So a typical day for me basically is that let's say, and this is like pre-COVID because when it, when the COVID started, I, I was lucky that I could transition some of my work to home. So let me tell you like the, the normal. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. yeah. Um, so a typical day is that typically I'd like to get to work early in the day because then I can um, leave early too and enjoy the um, afternoon, the late afternoon and evening. So when I get to the work at before eight, um, typically I, if there's a if there's a project that I need to work in the lab for, so we start, I start with experiments in the lab. And then, um, so basically, and then I need to analyze that data and move to my office. And um, most of the time, my work is in office and I use computers, my computers, because those, um, the, I, what I do also, I run some computational studies on, um, on the, on the different drug discovery projects. So let's say if the, if there's a company, um, 
if there's a project they wanted they wanted us to help them with their drug discovery program some of the works in at the beginning um, some of the screenings can be done computationally and that's the new approach um, that people take because it's cheaper and it's faster um, so I do that routinely that's why most of my time um, I spend at the desk and working with these um, computational um, methods and softwares and um, and then and like I said if there was an experiment that I did that day or earlier that day then I needed to analyze it um, so it's but again it's more my job it's more uh, more requires me uh, sitting at my desk and working with my computer okay um, interesting rather than yeah working in the lab um but like some people think when you are a scientist, most of the time you should, you should be a bench scientist, like you should be in the lab, but it all depends on what field you're in. I'm in the um, structure-based drug design and computer-aided drug design. Like I said, we use computer um, to, uh, that they help for designing a drug and driving the drug discovery programs. Um, and yeah. So it all depends like which field you're in. Okay. But yeah, and then I do that and then yeah, I, um, I leave and then the next day, same thing. Um, we have meetings, sometimes back to back and with our clients internally, uh, with different groups and within a company. Um, yeah, so it's a busy, busy day. Wow. <laughs> I mean, most of the time it's a busy, busy day, yep. Yeah, it sounds like it for sure. It's so funny that you mentioned that most of the time people people think of scientists as um, as bench scientists, but have you ever felt like there are other stereotypes of scientists that you've been stereotyped? Uh, yeah, I mean, beside the bench scientists, yeah, you're, you're asking- like 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 for like for example, scientists in general, you know, they have a reputation for being like more like serious and more like geeky kind of, and you're so not like that. <laughs> that's right like that is true like I I feel like most of the people when I tell them what I do uh they don't they don't believe me right (laughs) they think I'm just making it up right they're like wait you're a fashion blogger and you're a scientist that doesn't really work (laughs) yeah (laughs) which we'll talk about soon but (laughs) exactly I was gonna say that's I'm scientist by day and fashion blogger or style blogger by evening so it's kind of like (laughs) yeah a huge transition yeah totally I want to talk about that but I just like in a little bit but I just want to first because since we're still on topic of scientists Mm -hmm. I for some reason and it could be I'm wrong but I I feel like people picture scientists as obviously there are a lot of female scientists However, I feel like there are more, it's more of a male dominated field. It is. It is definitely, especially in industry um, field. Like in, acad- uh, in academia, it could be, it could be now more, um, still in academia also is more, is more male dominant, but I should say it's less compared to industry. In pharma industry, in biotech industry, it's a male dominant industry. And I was surprised uh, when I honestly, like four years ago, when I joined this company, I was surprised um, not only by, I mean, even our company is located in Ann Arbor and they try to basically hire as much as uh, fresh, young, female 
good scientist, but at the same time, it's just the culture, I guess, um, that has been around for a while. Um, and it's, it was very surprising to me because I, I could see this in Iran um, as a Middle Eastern country. But when I, uh, when I moved to US, I thought it should be different. Um, but I guess some, some things, you know, like this, it, it takes time. Um, and I hope we'll see that change soon. Did you experience discrimination in, in Iran? Uh, um, I mean, I got lucky that I was living in an open-minded family and um, we were a pretty modern family. We didn't have any issue or I didn't work in industry field when I was in Iran. So I didn't have that experience myself, but I, you could hear it like all the time, you know, from your family, friends, other people. Um, but yeah, it, it didn't happen to me. Thank God. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. 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 How many other female scientists are there at work? Um, in our actually building. So the way that our company is, um, in our building, we are, uh, you, you would be surprised actually, there might be more female scientists, but because our building is more, a, a, it's, it's like a biochemistry building. Um, so it's part of the it's basically a different department um, than the chemistry department. So our, our company has different divisions, uh, biochem and chemistry. Um, so in biochem, there are more uh, in our building, actually maybe like there are 50, 50, or maybe even 60% female. Really? But yeah, but we are only 50 people of 400 <laughs> employees. <laughs> Yeah, so you know, um, still there are more, um, there are more male um, in the whole company as as employee. I should say there, if you compare it, maybe it's like seventy percent or even like above sixty percent for sure. Oh wow! Okay, have you ever experienced sexism in the workplace since you work in a male-dominated field? Even though you, you, I guess it's fifty-fifty or 40 again I think I've been lucky in this in this field that I haven't experienced something like that myself but one thing that was a surprise to me is that when I heard that um an industry field in U.S. um the 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 salary for um males for the same job same job description um same years of experience for males it's higher typically than for females so when I heard that, like, again, when I applied for this, that was my real first real job. Again, I was teaching in universities, you know, academic labs here, there, but it, this was my actual real job, industry job. So I didn't know about these sort of things at the beginning, but the more and more I got into the field, um, I heard that um, I've been hearing still, and I think this is, this is, again, it's more like, it's related to the whole U.S., uh, or North America, that you'll see, you'll hear it that most um, most places, industry places, the, the males for the same the job description, they usually get paid higher, which to me is nonsense. For sure. Um, yeah, that's ridiculous. I hope I hope that changes. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Have you ever spoken to supervisors about that? Um, yeah, we've had, uh, we've had our conversations and all that, but you know, some things, um, and again, I think, I think I've been lucky that I work for a company that, uh, again, it's in Ann Arbor, 
you know the culture and everything um, again it's like very young um, they, they admire young female scientists they give you opportunities to grow and all that but um, still in um, my point is with even with this place you there are things that you'd be like wow you know honestly it's like then it's the culture of the whole um of the whole I think the country maybe I don't know um but there's something that is just out of your control (laughs) and I think it takes a while for them to fix it or it's not as easy to be fixed right right no I hear that I mean however I do feel like with these sort of things it's on every company to 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 change that like if each company decides okay we're going to pay our female employees the same as we pay our male employees then they're slowly changing the system you know what I mean yes and that's true so I've heard like recently because um in the past few years you've been hearing so many people are starting their startups you know um startup journey basically and some basically some some of the times or I should say maybe more than ever now you see female um, directors or female CEOs or ex- in, in the executive executive boards um, maybe uh, hopefully um, this culture then in few years will affect the the other companies as well so if they start you know and a few years later the other ones will join them so I think as well, I'll have to wait and see. Yeah. So I know that you said you didn't really experience so much gender discrimination yourself in, back in, uh, back in Iraq, Iran, sorry. Um, but did you have any family members or anyone close to you who experienced any of that? Because I know that Iran and the Middle Eastern countries in general have, have a reputation for, I guess, the male, male dominance and females, you know what I'm saying? Like just... Mm-hmm. Um, females being discriminated yeah. against. So, what was it like for you? Speaking of gender discrimination, back in Le- um, I don't know why I keep saying Lebanon. It wasn't Lebanon <laughs> back <laughs> back in Iran. So, um, I the the one thing is that so I knew um, if I wanted to stay in Iran, um, I knew if I wanted to um, join industry, I couldn't. Uh, you basically, it's very hard for you to grow. And it's very hard for you to get in as a, as a female and to stay there, keep your job. That's one thing. And then to grow is another thing. Um, because again, it's the whole country is male dominant. I feel like in US, um, it's totally the opposite, but still it needs to get there. You know, it still has some, some spaces as, that needs to be improved. But in Iran, it was totally like, it was totally different. Like most of the, even in the universities, like even most of the um, professors and instructors, and they were just like males, um, the researchers. But at, at our age, at our generation, um, my generation, um, we as a female women, we wanted to, um, we wanted to study, we wanted to get into the university, we wanted to pursue education. Um, so I guess it was a, it was a time for Iran to, you know, to have that change as well, but it definitely wasn't as easy because, this, because of the whole government and the way that it's set up, um, 
and the, the way that the culture of the people is. So that was something that you couldn't change as easily as here, you know? Right, right. They're years behind us. Yeah. But I can tell you um, that the past year when I visited Iran, after six years, I was surprised because I realized that the so many, so many females, so many women, they wanted now to be involved more. So they started their own little side gigs, you know? Um, so that was a shock to me that see those fearless, strong female and women, you know, to start their own journey, um, in considering all these difficulties that they, they should face. Um, but I guess, I, like I said, my, our generation, is a is a different one <laughs> right no that's great good for them that they've done that yeah but it's again it's not easy because of the whole system of the whole um, government and culture and all that so it's not easy for sure to change those right right it's interesting though to hear of different cultures and sometimes like you see that okay obviously we have room to grow but it could be worse in a way you know what I mean yeah yeah for sure is there anything that you wish people knew about your field as a scientist? Um, I just wish that people um, people knew that you could be uh, you could be young and you could be also good at what you do in the science field and still trust your opinion in the field. I just uh, I just wish that the people. Um, Thing when you tell them you're scientists wouldn't imagine you as a 50 year old right. male <laughs> yeah fair <laughs> enough fair enough totally you know we have a lot of stereotypes of women in Arabic countries right so could you talk to me about the image of women portrayed in the media versus how it really is in reality like in your opinion from your experience yeah so um that is that is a very interesting um, topic because I can say like in Iran, uh, when I say uh, when when people ask me where you're from and I say Iran, they they most of the time they think that um, like we never like we never done some sort of things like I don't know like maybe getting our hairs done you know and some something very simple, but uh, the the way that the media um, shows that um the the female or the women's in iran um i i can say in iran because that's where i live um it's very different than what actually people live at least in the big cities Mm -hmm. like the capital like tehran or the northern cities or uh, esfahan shiraz um so it's very different and people uh like so many things like the, the you can see like um even from the the clothes the clothes the the fashion the style everything they try to keep them updated themselves updated using their social media internet you know mm-hmm. um so it's very different than what people think i think if you take an american and and you tell them let's go to Iran, you know, tomorrow, they, they see all those women's and all those like people, they will be surprised. Totally. They will be shocked. Like the way that the people live actually in Iran. Right. Again, it's totally different than what the media represents. Yeah. 
Interesting. Yeah. Which makes sense because the media shows you what they want you'd think. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's uh, exactly that's part of it. And at the same time, I feel like um, having internet and all these social medias now, you can keep people inside and people will learn about how other people live in different countries, what they wear, what they do, you know? Yes. And that's how, yeah, that's how Iranian people now, um, they do it too. What do you mean to do it too? So they use, uh, like I said, um, that's how they basically use internet um, and satellite and all that. And they realize that, okay, well, I mean, um, we want to be like them, you know, we want to, we want to live like um, East, uh, like Western people. I mean, um, dress like them, but again, like some of the things you, they can't obviously, because you have to have a job in Iran. Mm-hmm. Um, when you go outside, um, but I mean, we, <laughs> I remember like some, somebody asked me like, uh, did you guys, oh, um, I think it wasn't, yeah, I was actually in us. That's I had to explain to someone that, Hey, I mean, when I was in Iran, um, I left Iran when I was 20, 21 years old, but we still, we had our own gathering with our friends. Um, and it was a party of, you know, both, uh, male, female, you know, boys and girls. It wasn't just only like girls with a job. No, uh, it was like a normal party, but those things that people, young people do in Iran, um, media doesn't show it. Mm-hmm because um everything is <laughs> off the camera interesting um, okay so that's that's yeah. very that that's very interesting and also very important to know because we're not seeing everything no no like there are uh, and there was this account on instagram that started showing the life of the back of the camera of, of those young people um and people from us or europe you know they got very interested to know to see that face because they never they never were they they were never exposed um yeah to those images but yeah that was that's an interesting part of it yes it's very interesting okay so in terms of being a scientist we discussed that it's really a male-dominated field, but I'm sure there are a lot of women who would love to be like you and to go into the the science the science field, right? So what advice would you give a woman who wants to pursue a career similar to yours? Um, I would just give an advice that, you know, don't be afraid of um, the things that pe- people might tell you that, hey, you might not find this position or, you know, you might not be good enough for this position. Don't be, um, don't be scared by it. If you really like something, go for it, try it. And, um, this field, um, it's like, it's growing every day. So there's always opportunity for, um, anyone who wants to succeed in it. Um, yeah. So. Okay. Awesome. So it's funny because I actually, we met as, I actually met you as a fashion blogger, right? I remember looking at your profile after you DM'd me to collaborate and I was, so confused. I remember thinking like, what, she's a scientist and she's a fashion blogger. Like, how does that work? Like what's going on here? You know, like (laughs) usually people don't equate scientists with blogging, right? Because it's like two ends of the spectrum in terms of stereotypes. Right. So what made you decide to pursue blogging 
in addition to working full time as a scientist? What drew you to that world? So um, I basically, since uh, ever since like uh, I was a kid, I always cared about what I what I was wearing or what I, what I wanted to wear that day or even, you know, tomorrow, you know? Mm-hmm. So I always cared about that. And I, I was into fashion styles, get to know other different styles. And uh, that was, that was my interest all the time. And then when I, um, when I went to grad school, even, um, I remember like people were asking me, Oh, where did you get this? Or where did you get those, those shoes or that, that jean, those jeans, you know, mm-hmm. I, I realized that, okay, well, if I can, um, if I'm doing this for myself, I'm putting time and effort, you know, to go and find something that I like, why not uh, tell other people where to find it? Or um, this is my experiences, you know, with this brand. Um, I'm sure it's going to help other people too. Um, and I started with that, but then I didn't take it serious because I was transitioning into um, my new job, actual job. So it was a little hectic time for me and I needed to finish my school. But then that was something that my husband actually, he really um, pushed me for it. He was like, this is something you really like and you're good at it. You should you should just continue doing it. And, um, and he was right. He was like, because I mean, in our field, uh, we are professional women and it's, I just wanted, my goal, it was to basically let other people know you can be scientists, you can be a professional woman and you can still look nice. That's something that, um, you can do you don't have to look uh, nerdy, you know, for sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was my goal. And I think I've been successful in that. Um, and people started realizing that they can, uh, they can work in industry. They can be a professional women. They can, you know, talk science or talk, they can be an engineer and they still can look nice. <laughs> for sure. For sure. And influence others to look nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah that's cool do, do you ever feel like people don't take you as seriously in the science field because you're a fashion blogger so I th- that was the thing like I was hesitant about it and I didn't bring it up to people at work because I didn't I was hesitant about this exactly same thing that you just said right. and um until um so we have a basically um we have we also in our company we also have a the beauty line and we um we make our uh, natural based um lash serum and so i saw that and i i knew how good it is because i knew the the work behind it and i was starting to that department and i was telling them hey i have this blog i can maybe you know help you guys with it you know why not I can tell my people like followers or friends you know whoever uh, on my on my social media platform about this product so when I did that and then I did the PR the marketing with them and um, that was like a year and a half ago um, so that that started a, the whole new thing and some of the people at work they started realizing that I that I also do blogging um, and honestly, I was surprised because they, none of them, they <laughs> think low. They actually, they thought the opposite. They thought how cool it is. 
and uh yeah so when they started following me too um they some of them asked me like beauty questions or you know um so i guess what i thought was wrong it's great okay good it's so yeah. sometimes it's, it's not, sometimes it's good to be wrong you know these types of circumstances <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> cool and how do you make time for blogging while working full time uh that's something that you just have to try honestly that's something like if you i i think this is what i believe if you really want to do something you can always make it work you can always um have even like 10 15 minutes a day just to plan about what your content is going to be what you want to do what you want to post um what you're thinking of what your next plan is so you can always have a plan but most of the things that i do are in weekends and then i plan them for the week mm-hmm. um, very smart so yeah that always helps but um with the baby is <laughs> on a way so i don't know how mm-hmm. i think at the beginning i'm gonna be MIA way yes yeah definitely you should be yes at this time I'm not sure when we're when this episode when this episode is gonna come out but um at the time that we're recording this Zara is expecting a baby so we're really excited about that (laughs) do you ever get triggered by social media posts and stories do you get triggered in general I know a lot of people find that social media can be a great place to be but it, it can also be very triggering um it is a great place depending on what you're looking for you know if you know what you're looking for you can basically um you can find amazing people you can network with amazing people but it is definitely triggering and actually few of my friends they closed their instagram just because of that just because they were like we are just sick and tired of seeing people show offing their life or showing like how perfect their life is and all that I get that part um and I agree with them on that on that aspect but you have to believe I think people they all have to believe in one thing that nobody else's life is perfect like no one's no one's life is perfect basically they just have to believe in this and even they see that someone's posting non-stop how happy that person is or how what a luxury life they have and all that I think they just have to think that hey this is this is the just one part one snapshot of their life and that doesn't show what they've been going through or what they've been going through to get there um and most of the time you don't see people come and cry over the camera, you know, for sure not. Yeah. Right. And what you see is just the, uh, it's just a good aspect of it. Yeah. So wait, so how do you, how do you deal with social media triggers? Are you saying that you just keep remembering and that no one's life is perfect and this is all just what you're seeing on screen and that's your, like your kind yeah. of mental boundary? Yeah. So what I, um, in my case, I always, I always, um, when, if I see something, like if I have a very long day and if I, um, see someone's like, you know, laying by a pool, chilling and uh, chilling and I'm, uh, and I, I know that I have 40 minutes drive just to get home and I need to cook my dinner. Um, I always remember that, Hey, even that person, um, might have or has had a difficult time like I mean nobody else's life is perfect uh no one's no one 
his life is perfect. So what we see is just a snapshot. Um, and we just have to think about this all the time. And, um, you know, again, so for some things it's good, but um, I understand why people get annoyed. But if you are looking for good recommendations, um, a good networking, like I met an amazing people through Instagram. I met you, so many other local um, bloggers uh, from Michigan, Detroit area, or um, small business owners. I met so many amazing people through yeah. Instagram that I, I think it's just, the, it depends on the way that you think about it or you look at it. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I agree with you. Right. We never would have met if not for social media. And I'm so lucky to have you in my life. So with along with other amazing women. Yeah, as you said, for sure. The same. Yeah. <laughs> we all have people who have inspired us throughout our lives and contributed to kind of like what we choose to do and choose to, to do, whether professionally or in our personal lives, you know. So whom who are your inspirations, you know, and what what makes you feel inspired? So my inspiration in life, in my life, for me, was my mom's mother, my grandmother. She, because, I mean, she is an amazing person. Um, right now, she lives in New Zealand. What a cool country to live in. Wow, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she was always uh, my role model because um, I, I was hearing all these stories from my mom that with five kids she had five kids my mom and other four other siblings um and she was still she wanted to study she studied at nights you know that like this is stories for gosh like 50 years ago um so she um she basically um she hustled she studied at night and then she uh, she was professional woman she was working um for for government and that was like again, like 50 years ago, like way before the revolution. Um, so she was always my role model because um, I could see like in her, if you want something, she was always telling me, if you really want something, go for it, um, work hard for it and um, you'll get there. Eventually you'll get there. Uh, you might fail in the middle. Of course, everybody does. But um, if you hustle, you'll get there. Absolutely. That's great. Okay. So finishing up, and this is the question that I ask everybody at the end, what is something that you hope the next generation of women won't have to struggle with? So I hope the next generation of uh, women don't struggle uh, or they'll be lucky that they won't need to struggle basically to prove themselves constantly to people um, and to show them that although they're female, but they can be right, they can make decisions, they can, um, at least in science field, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I just hope that that happens, um, that happens in the, uh, in the future, um, that people don't have to constantly prove them to others. Yes, for sure. No, that's great. Zara, so where can our listeners connect with you online? Where can they find you if they want to learn more about you and see more of your stuff, your content? 
So they can find me at my Instagram, um, which is thezarakoko. Um, again, thezarakoko. And yeah, so they can, it will be interesting. I mean, I'll be interested to connecting with all of your <laughs> listeners. <laughs> thank you. And thank you so much for joining me tonight. Um, this was so nice to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun. That's all for tonight. Thanks so much for listening. Connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Carmela Cosmetics. That's Carmela with a K. And on our website, CarmelaCosmetics.com. If there's a woman in your life whose story needs to be heard, send me a message to let me know who she is and why she means so much to you. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know your thoughts. We want you to feel heard. 